We live in a a noisy world, in a world that is full of distraction, don't we? It's, It's all too easy in this day and age to be bombarded by endless news, endless notifications, endless additions to our to-do list. And all of these things can tend to draw us away from devoting ourselves to the things that are the most important, the things that are right before our eyes. There are things that are singularly supreme and yet We can be distracted because we grow busy in this busy age. Several years ago, one writer, he wrote a series of questions to help Christians diagnose what he called hurry sickness. Let me just give you a sampling of those diagnostic questions. You don't have to answer aloud. Number one, do you regularly work 30 minutes longer than your contracted hours every day? Number two, do you check work emails and phone messages at home when you're with your family or friends? Number number three, has anyone ever said to you, I didn't want to trouble you because I know how busy you are? Number four, do your family or friends complain about not getting any time with you? Number five, let's say you say you don't understand what I'm talking about. Well, number five, number five will get you. Number five, do you often exceed the speed limit while driving? (laughs) (laughs) Number six, do you pray regularly for your church and for your children? Number seven, do you read God's word every day? I'm not going to list out the rest of them. I trust we're all convicted enough. Let's close in prayer. No. (laughs) So hurry sickness, hurry sickness. It produces schedules that are crazy busy and hearts that are crazy busy. And this craziness produces dangerous levels of anxiety and frustration. Kevin DeYoung several years ago said something profound. He said, busyness, busyness kills more Christians than bullets. Our lives are so full of the unnecessary. And if we're going to walk wisely in this present evil age, we need wisdom from above. And that's what we find this morning in our sermon passage in Luke's gospel. So if you have a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. We're going to be looking at everyone's favorite Easter passage, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42, the story about Mary and Martha. Now, this morning, the Savior of sinners, Jesus Christ, loves us by telling us plainly what truly matters. On on resurrection morning, we need to remind ourselves what matters truly matters. And Jesus in this passage tells us the one thing that's necessary, the one thing that ought to be your ultimate priority 
the ultimate priority for anyone who would be his disciple. So look at your, look at your Bibles, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. If you're, if you're not used to reading a Bible, there's pew Bibles in front of you. You can open it up to page, I think it's 869 in the pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible, take the Bible uh, in the pew, not in the pew, not, not your neighbor's Bible, but the one in the pew. Take that Bible as a gift from our church to you. Now let's remind ourselves of the context. Jesus is traveling from the north in Israel. He'd been up in the Galilee and now he's been traveling down beginning in chapter nine, verse 51 to the south, to Judea, to Jerusalem. He's on the road with his disciples. Last week, he encountered a lawyer who asked him a question, which Jesus responded to by giving him the parable of the Good Samaritan about how to love your neighbor. And this morning, this morning, we find an interesting passage where Jesus tells us the one thing that's necessary for each one of us. What is that one thing? This is what scripture says. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. My prayer for you and for me this morning is that the risen Savior would capture our attention, that he would rekindle our hearts, and that he would open our ears to listen to him, all for our good and for his glory. That's my prayer. If you want an outline, it's a question and answer. What is the one necessary thing. That's the question and the whole passage answers it. So you can just write that down. The question, what is, this un, this is, what is the necessary thing? Jesus is gonna answer it for us. But first, Luke sets the scene. Look at verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. Jesus and his followers, they're continuing south and they arrive at this village. We know earlier on their Travels, they were rejected when they went to a village in Samaria, but that doesn't happen here. Notice verse, verse 38, they're welcomed. They're, they're entered a village and notice a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. You see that? We're told that this woman named Martha welcomed Jesus. She, she received Jesus. She began to entertain Jesus as a guest of honor. Undoubtedly, from what happens later, we know that Martha had heard of Jesus. 
She had heard the gospel that Jesus was proclaiming. She knew who Jesus was. She calls him Lord all the way through the passage. She knows him. I I believe she's already trusted in him. And just like Zacchaeus in chapter 19, verse 6, Martha receives Jesus joyfully into her home. Now, this is Martha's house. Do you see that? Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. Do you see that? Now, the name Martha in Aramaic, it's the word for mistress. So just like you'd have a master of the house, she's the mistress of this house. She, she's, this is her house. We're not told about a husband, so likely that she was a widow. Um, we're not told that she's the oldest sister, but I think we can almost assume that. Anytime Martha's mentioned, she's mentioned, and then it's her sister Mary and her brother Lazarus. So she's a, the oldest sibling. She's always mentioned first. And we do know, even though Luke doesn't tell us from the Gospel of John, where this was. This, her home was in Bethany. Bethany. Bethany is two miles outside Jerusalem on the, the, eastern, the eastern side of the Mount of Olives. And we know that Jesus is going to visit this home many times over the years. This was a home and a family that Jesus loved and they loved him. This was the first of many visits because she's introduced as a woman named Martha. I think this is probably the first time they've they've interacted. So I want you to just think about this. This is Christ's first encounter with this family. And and we're told that he arrives at the front door. And I want you to put yourself in Martha's sandals for a minute. Jesus Christ, the son of God, arrives at your door. He shows up for dinner. (laughs) He, He and his followers have been traveling all day. They're likely hungry and they show up at your home. And obviously she wants everything to be perfect, maybe too perfect. Verse 39, she had a sister called Mary. And notice Mary, what is she doing? Who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Verse 40, notice the contrast. But Martha was distracted with much serving. So just notice this contrast. Picture in your minds. This whole passage is a study in contrast. Mary is sitting. Martha is standing. Mary is listening. Martha is serving. Mary is focused on one thing. Martha is distracted with many things. Martha is talking. Mary never opens her mouth. So let's dig into this a bit. Mary has this kind of silent testimony. Remember back in Luke chapter 7 when Jesus goes to eat at the Pharisee's house and that sinful woman comes in? She never says a word. And she's at the Savior's feet But her actions speak louder than any words, right? She's weeping. She's wiping the Savior's feet with her tears because she had been forgiven of all of her sins. And so she never said anything, but her her actions communicate everything. And that's what happens here with Mary. She has a silent testimony. We're told two things about Mary. Notice, number one, she sat at the Lord's feet. And number two, she listened to his teaching. Your Bible may say she listened to his word, to his doctrine. 
Children, don't, don't misunderstand. When it says that she's sitting at his feet, it's not like Martha didn't have a chair or something. No, Mary is sitting at the Savior's feet because she's devoted to him. She's sitting at his feet, at the Lord's feet. She's taking the place of a disciple. That's what a disciple would do. Remember earlier, we talked about last week, Jesus was teaching the disciples back in that day, rabbis sat down and they would teach sitting down. And those who were listening to the rabbi, those who were following the the teacher would sit at his feet and listen as he taught. And that's exactly what Mary's doing here. This is is a, a word that indicates she's devoted to the Savior's teaching. Later on, this is what Paul says. When Paul's recounting his testimony, the Apostle Paul, in the book of Acts, listen to what he says. Acts 22, he said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Sicilia, brought up in the city. And then he said, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Means that he learned from this rabbi. And that's exactly the idea here. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus in the position of a disciple, and she is, number two, listening to his every word. Jesus isn't chit-chatting. You know, sometimes when you're waiting for, you're waiting for dinner to be, to be finished or the, the table to be set, you just kind of make chit-chat. That's not happening here. Jesus is teaching his word, and she's listening. She's soaking it all up. Mary's not standing to confront Jesus. She's sitting at his feet. She's eager to listen, eager to learn, ready to believe. And and we've talked about this before. This was unusual. Back earlier when we're told that there were women who were following Jesus, this was unusual. Rabbis didn't teach women. But Jesus not only instructs women along the way, he's giving Mary this personal instruction there in the home. He positively encouraged Women to be taught God's word. And that's Mary. Mary sitting at his feet, listening to the word. Now look at the contrast. But Martha was distracted with much serving. While Mary was listening, Martha is serving. Martha had a to-do list longer than your arm, right? She had lots of preparations to make. The Messiah is at her house. She's not going to serve peanut butter and jelly on paper plates. She's going to pull out all the stops. She wants to, she wants to honor the Savior. She, she has this crushing weight of service. And notice it distracted her. Do you see that? She was distracted with much serving. Martha was seeking to serve. It's it's biblical to show hospitality, right? Hospitality is a noble virtue of godliness. We're commanded to do it. Seek to show hospitality. Romans 12, 13. This was Martha's home. She wanted the Savior to feel welcome. Maybe she was preparing a feast. We don't know. Maybe she was making some of her favorite recipes. We don't know. In my mind, I'm thinking Martha Stewart without the jail sentence. That's basically what I have in my mind, right? Martha has all these tasks. If the son of God was coming over to your home for Easter lunch, you'd pull out all the stops. Let's not be too hard on Martha. 
But whatever her motives were, Luke tells us she was distracted with much serving. Luke uses a unique word. It's it's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. She was distracted. Another way to render it is she was pulled away by much service. It's amazing. It can refer not only to distraction, but to be overburdened. Now, I want you to just stop and think about this. Christian, wake up. Listen, this can be a warning for each one of us. Your service for Christ can pull you away from Christ. Your service for Christ can actually pull you away from Christ. You can be, listen, you can be distracted from the Lord while you're seeking to serve the Lord. Your service for Jesus can get in the way of your listening to Jesus. And, and this morning, I mean, maybe the thing that, that's weighing you down this morning, the, the thing that's distracting you is you're thinking, as soon as we get out of here, I've got a long list of stuff I've got to do. Now, listen, I'm preaching this to myself. Pastors can become too busy for Jesus. What a contrast. Mary quietly sitting at the Savior's feet, listening to his every word with rapt attention and devotion. The devotion of a disciple. And Mary, I'm sorry, Martha, busy, hurried, distracted, distressed, pulled in every direction. We're not told how long this went on, um, but at some point Mary had enough. I'm sorry, Martha had enough. Eventually, her distraction boils over into frustration. Verse 40. This is amazing. She went up to Jesus and said to him, Lord. Now, I love the fact she addresses him as Lord. That was good, right? Lord. Now, what do you expect to follow? Can I join the teaching? No. Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. I mean, at least she addressed him as Lord. It got pretty bad after that, right? She rebukes Jesus and commands him to do something. You, you tell her to help me. Don't, don't you care, Jesus? I'm up here serving. I'm slaving away. Do you not care? Now, parents, if you're b- blessed with multiple children and they've reached the age to do chores around the house, you will be quite familiar with the distribution of labor debate that often rages among siblings, right? It's a debate as old as time, right? My sibling is not helping. That's what's going on here. Amen. That's right. I got an amen. Martha orders Jesus, tell my sister to get up And start helping me. Lord Jesus, I'm serving all alone. My sister's just sitting there doing nothing. And she's letting me do all the work. Don't you care? Just pause for a minute. She's distracted with much service. And that leads to this frustration that takes expression in this 
somewhat angry reply from her. Just pause and think about this. She's supposed to be serving Christ at this moment. And in the same breath, she's accusing the savior of sinners of not caring. Can you imagine accusing the one who came into the world to save sinners of not caring? Imagine accusing the one who came to seek and save the lost and the one who came to suffer in our place for our sins. The one who came to bleed and die to purchase our redemption. The one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Imagine accusing him to his face of not caring about you. And don't forget, this is not an unbeliever talking. This is a believer. Lord Jesus, look at what I'm doing for you. Don't you care? Now, Mary at this point had stopped serving and she had begun scolding. And I wonder, as you listen to this language, don't you care? I hope if you've read Luke's gospel, the best way to understand Luke's gospel is just to keep reading it over and over again. And as I read this passage this week, something popped in my mind. This sounds very similar to another famous passage that we're going to read in a few weeks. It's another parable Jesus told. The sibling rivalry that takes place here reminded me of another sibling rivalry in Luke's gospel. And the heart of Martha at this point expressed itself in the way that the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son spoke to his father. Remember? Remember the context? The younger son returns safe and sound. The father throws a welcome party. They throw a big, a big feast. There's music and there's dancing and rejoicing. But the older son is where? Outside. He refuses to come in. So the dad, the father, loving father, goes outside and pleads with his older son to come in and to join the party. And remember what he said? He speaks Rudely to his father, like an angry, disgruntled employee might speak to an overbearing boss. He says, look, these many years I have served you and never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. You hear it? It sounds just like, don't you care what I've done for you? What have you done for me? Look at all that I've done. Look at all that I'm doing. Don't you care? Brothers and sisters, this is an accusation that's fueled by distraction that reveals itself to be a heart that's in need of transformation. Martha is right. She does need help, doesn't she? She needs help, but she gets a different kind of help. The the Savior loves her, and so he serves her in a different way. Notice what he says. Verse 41. But the Lord, I love this, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Now, don't hear in those two words, Martha, Martha, that he's frustrated with her. Jesus often repeats a name like that 
Because he's trying to emphasize relational intimacy. He loves Martha. He's he's caring for her. Later on, Jesus is going to say to Peter, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And just a few chapters later, Jesus on the cross is going to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a term of endearment, the way he repeats it like this. Simon, Simon, here, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, Jesus goes right to the heart of the problem. What's the problem? What's the heart of the problem of a busy heart? Right there, anxiety. You see it? You are anxious and troubled about many things. The Bible says be anxious for what? Nothing. She's anxious about lots of stuff. There were things on her to-do list that she just somehow could not let go. When Jesus told the parable of the soils a few chapters earlier, do you remember what he said about the, 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 the soil or the seed that fell among the thorns? Remember, Jesus said this. This is Luke eight fourteen. They're those who hear. And as they go on their way, they are choked by the worries and cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit doesn't mature. You can, your worries can choke out God's word. Here was Martha. Just think about this. This is the opportunity of a lifetime. Jesus Christ, the son of God in the flesh is in her living room. (laughs) She has the opportunity to sit at the savior's feet and to be taught the word of God from the very word of God in the flesh. I mean, I've been to some good Bible studies, nothing that good, right? But she has a worry and trouble filled heart. She's worried about many things and her anxiety leads to frantic busyness, which leads to distraction, which leads to self-pity, which leads to resentment, which takes expression in her accusation towards Jesus. Busy lives are often the fruit of busy hearts plagued by anxiety. But Jesus says to Martha, you're, you're fretting and you're fussing about many things. Verse 42, but only one thing is necessary. Here's the point of the passage. So if you were dozing, wake up. Here's the point. But only one thing. You see the contrast Jesus is making? You're worried about many things, but there's only one thing that's necessary, Martha. What's the one thing? Well, he he keeps telling us, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. What did Mary choose? What was Mary doing? I think it's obvious the good portion that Mary chose and the good portion, the the one thing that was necessary for Martha is to humbly and faithfully listen to God's word. The, 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 The one necessary thing 
for a disciple of Jesus is to humbly and faithfully sit at the Savior's feet and listen to him. Mary chose the good portion. I love it. The word portion in the New Testament, it can also refer to food. So, so if Martha's making food, Jesus is saying, hey, look, Martha, you're preparing a feast. Mary's eating a feast. She, she's getting the good portion and it won't be taken away from her. She's feasting on the word of God. There is only one thing that is necessary for any of us as disciples of Jesus. And listen to me. It is not anything you will ever do for Jesus. It's not what you will do for him as a disciple that is necessary. Being a disciple, first and foremost, begins by acknowledging and receiving what he has done for us. She thought, she mistakenly thought that what was really important at that moment was serving him. But he doesn't need our service. He is not served by human hands as if he needs anything. He gives to all men life and breath and everything. The Savior can do quite well, my friend, without your service. He will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Even without us. It will succeed because of him. I I remember... A few months ago, we were looking at the transfiguration. Remember that scene? Jesus on the mountaintop of the disciples, Peter, James, and John. He's revealed in all of his glory. His face is shining like the sun. Moses and Elijah are there. And what does, think about it. What does Peter say at that moment? Oh, this is a good time for us to build you some tents. Three tents coming up, right? What can I do for you, Jesus? And then the voice from heaven. God the Father says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. The first and the chief thing that disciples of Jesus must do, the one thing that's necessary is to sit humbly at the Savior's feet and to listen to his word. Friends, we can get so caught up with serving Christ that we fail to listen to him in his word. You're not checking a box. When you you spend time every day with God in his word, listening to him, listen, you're not checking a box of things that you have to do for Jesus that day. Do you know what you're doing? You... You are, as it were, listening to him speak through his word by his spirit. And it's an opportunity for him to do something for you. That's what you're doing. I don't about you. I don't read my Bible to check off the list. I read my Bible because I'm desperate. I've got to hear from him. I don't know how you can go a day without hearing from him in his word. I don't read it to check a box. I read it because I'm desperate. I I must hear from him. So don't don't think of this as, okay, I got to, this is a sermon about prioritizing your schedule. No, schedule this solitary priority. 
It's the only thing that's necessary. This is a lesson that we forget, isn't it? We forget this. We forget this. We think there's 10,000 things we need to do for Jesus. And we forget this one thing. And it's not just us. Our fathers, they forgot too. Our fathers in the faith, listen to this. Remember when we read about our fathers in the wilderness, I say our fathers because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, that wilderness generation, he says, look, look back at the example of our fathers. And remember, what, what was it that, Jesus, that the Lord was teaching Israel in the wilderness when they wandered for 40 years and he fed them manna? What, what, what was the lesson? Moses tells us, Deuteronomy 8, 3, the Lord humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Why? So that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, Martha was preparing a feast that perishes all the while Mary was enjoying a feast that will never be taken away from her. Our service, listen, with our service of Christ does not begin with our hands or with our feet. Children, it begins with our ears. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Christian, what will you do for him if you will not feast with him, he's inviting you in his word to a banquet. What will you do for him if you will not feast with him? This is the good portion that Jesus is saying. And before we condemn Mary, we need to ask. I need to ask you and I need to ask myself, what is keeping you? What's keeping me from hearing God's word every day? What good things are getting in the way of this best thing? Which portion, friend, are you choosing this morning? The one that perishes or the one that cannot be taken away? Are you choosing the bread of anxious toil or are you choosing to feast your soul every morning, every evening on the bread from heaven? Now, at this point, some of you are wondering, I thought this was Easter. What in the world does that have to do with the resurrection? Like, what is going on here? Well, I haven't, I'm glad you're asking that or thinking about that. Let me, let me give, that, give you an answer to that. As a way of applying this passage to our lives as we close, I have two illustrations. One from Mary and one from Martha. Because I want you to see the fruit of what we just read about. This, friends, was a moment of mercy in Martha's life. And it was a moment of mercy in Mary's life. This was the first time they met, but they're going to interact for a long time. I'm going to give you two illustrations that illustrate why this is so significant for our understanding of the good news that Christ died for our sins and rose again for our justification. First illustration, this is a moment of mercy in Mary's life right before Passover, six days before Passover. We read in God's word, this is 
right before Passion Week, right? Jesus once again visited Bethany, remember? John chapter 12. And once again, he goes to Martha's house. And once again, Martha is doing what? She's serving, typical Martha, right? And Lazarus is inclining at table with Jesus. And the disciples are all there. And you remember what happened? What did Mary do? We're told that she took a pound of expensive ointment. It was worth tens of thousands of dollars if you adjust for inflation, maybe a million given our inflation, right? This pure nard, and what does she do? She anoints the Savior. She anoints his feet. She wipes his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with that beautiful scent of that expensive ointment. And the disciples rebuke her. What are you doing? Why this waste, they say. We could have given this to the poor. They sold it and given it to the poor. But Jesus stops them. Remember? Jesus stops them. It says, leave her alone. Leave Mary alone. You'll always have the poor with you. You won't always have me. She has done something beautiful for me. And in pouring this ointment on my body, what has she done? She has prepared my body for burial. And I tell you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory. You see, Mary wasn't wasting. She was worshiping. And did you notice she understood something on that moment, in that moment that the apostles had missed at that point? She was preparing his body for burial. She knew he had come to Jerusalem to die and to be buried and three days later rise again. She had believed this and the apostles had missed it. Where did she learn this from? Where did she get this insight? From sitting at the Savior's feet and listening. Her love for the Lord was fueled by the word of the Lord. And she had an insight into the gospel. But what about Martha? Friend, before we look at Martha, I just want to make one comment. Did you ever wonder why does this passage come right after the parable of the Good Samaritan? You ever thought about that? Here's why I think it. I don't think it's necessarily strictly chronological. I think it's theological, the reason. Here's the reason. The Good Samaritan teaches us what does it look like to love your neighbor as you love yourself? This passage teaches us as disciples how we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that this passage is showing the way we begin to love the Lord is by listening to him, listening to him. God did not reveal his word in 66 books in order to be ignored. He spoke and revealed himself to give you kindling in your heart to fan into flame love for God. And as we grow in our knowledge of God, that spills out in sacrificial love and service 
for the Savior. He has spoken in his word, which is breathed out for God by God, which is profitable for teaching and correction and rebuking and for training. He it's able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This word is able to save your soul. This word is able to make you grow in the grace and knowledge of the truth. This word is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. This is the word, the gift of his word that Christ has given. And so what about Martha? Let me close with Martha. Martha was obviously distracted. She was crazy busy. But I think this was a moment of mercy in her life and she got it. She got it. How do I know she got it? I'll tell you how. The Lord got hold of her because later on, Her brother, Lazarus, got sick. And then he died. And you remember the Savior waited three days before he went to visit. And by the time he got there, Lazarus had been dead for a while. Mary's back at the house grieving. But type A Martha, what does she do? (laughs) Sprints out to meet Jesus. And she addresses the Savior in her typical straightforward manner. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then she goes on to say this, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know he'll rise on the resurrection of the last day. But then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And then Martha gives one of the greatest confessions of faith in all the Bible. She looks Christ right in the eyes and says, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. How'd she get there? She was listening. She was distracted, but that was a moment of mercy. And she began to listen to the Savior's words. That worshipful confession came from listening to all that the prophets had written. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer and enter into glory? Friend, Christianity is not about what we do for Christ. Jesus on the cross did not scream, get busy. He said, It is finished. The Savior has done all things well, and he has done everything for hell deserving sinners like us by dying in our place, by rising again from the dead and by granting life and forgiveness and justification and pardon to anyone who would ever hear his word and trust him, receiving him in the empty hands of faith. 
the good news that the gospel is what Christ has done for sinners in his life, death and resurrection. And Jesus in this passage says to us, is your life this morning full of the unnecessary? Is your heart busy with many things? Are you trusting in him? Are you listening to his word and holding fast to him by faith? Only one thing is necessary. Friend, Jesus says to you, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Friend, Jesus stands risen and reigning offering rest for weary and busy-hearted sinners. Will you come to him? Will you sit at his feet? And will you listen to his word? That's the only thing that's necessary. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and heavenly Father, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. More than that, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Oh, Father, help us to humble ourselves and to listen. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.